What's wrong with you people? What is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. All scripture is theonistos. It is God. I'll tell you what's disrespectful. Saying God has to provide many ways when in his son, he gave his life on Calvary's tree to provide the one perfect. Give us some men who know the truth. And welcome to another episode of the Eyes Open Ministry Podcast. I am your one of your co-hosts, John Pruitt. And today I am joined to my left, Joshua Lovell. Hey, great to be here. Clay Garrison. Hey, how you guys doing? The one and only Lee Gulledge. Glad y'all could join me today. <laughs> and we're starting back up our first recorded podcast episode for 2001. Not off to a good start, but uh, <laughs> 20, 20, 2021. Yeah, did I say 2020? I'm no, sorry. What did I say? 2001. 2001. We'll see. I'm thinking 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm reminiscing. I'm getting old. Uh, so thanks for the correction, guys. In love. Uh, so it's our first episode of 2021. And like I said, things are off to a great start. But today we're going to bring you a little bit of optimistic. Uh, teachings here we're, we're going back into the attributes of god and i know last time we said we was going to talk about uh the sovereignty of god but we've decided we're going to wait and cover a few more of god's attributes first so that it can help you understand the sovereignty of god a little bit clearer so today we're going to be talking about the aseity of god the aseity a-s-e-i-t-y <laughs> Because there is some debate amongst us here, I guess, how you pronounce it. Uh, so Google said. Yeah. <laughs> Can't trust <So>. Google. <laughs> Big tech, man. Uh, so break out your Bibles. Turn with us as we go through these uh, very eye-opening scriptures today. Um, and this is a part of a complete series. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, go back and listen to our Holiness of God. And uh, do check out our other podcast, God's Mad Men. We're going to be recording some for that as well. So, God's aseity. Aseity. God being, God being is absolutely independent from all other things. He is self-existent, self-sustaining. So, basically, it means that God doesn't need anything to sustain himself, regardless of what some quote-unquote pastors, preachers may say, God doesn't even need us. God doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our affection. He doesn't need anything at all. The triune God does not derive any of his life from an outside source, but rather is the source of all being and all life outside of himself. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this is very crucial for us to understand. 
Um, because some people have they confuse and, and put the attributes in God in place of how they are. We 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 try to relate God to us and how we think, how we feel, how we sustain ourselves. Um, you know, we have our continuously need to breathe, we need to eat, we need to drink, etc. But that reveals our lack of aseity. Acts 17 and 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So we need to understand that we cannot relate to God the same way we relate to humanity and our own needs that we have in this life. I remember in Psalms, it says, you, um, I think God was giving the example that <clears throat> he hasn't chastised him yet. And he was saying, you thought I was a God just like you, like they had imagined their own God in, in their heads. But the idea is our need to uh, humans and other creatures require things from outside of ourselves. God does not. Uh, a great scripture, Isaiah 40 and 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? You think about when God uh, sent Moses to, you know, deliver, um, proclaim the message to Pharaoh, it's time to deliver my people. He said, Tell, tell him that I am has sent you. It's just a, a simple basic, and you, we could go off in all kinds of rabbit trails, but just a, it's a simple, in English, I am. It's two simple words, but God is complete in himself. That's all, that's all he had to say, all he had to give. That's what you look at that passage that you just read from Isaiah, and you know, talking about humans and other creatures, you know, we require things from outside of ourselves. You look at the example from verse 14 where it says, you know, who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding. You know, it, as as humans, we we tend to want to make ourselves like God and say that well, we come up with what justice is, we come up with what knowledge is, and, right. and what true understanding is. But you know, this this passage is saying ultimately that those things come from God Himself, and it's you know saying who taught Him that, right? And nobody, you know, the answer is nobody. Nobody taught Him that. Um, you know, God is the source of justice, knowledge, understanding. So you you know, we we're already seeing that aseity in that. Um, but then to bring up, uh, just, just another point, you know, we always try to relate these, uh, these attributes back to the Trinity because we're never describing just God, the father or just God, the son, or, uh, just the Holy spirit. Uh, whenever we're talking about this attribute, you know, we're, this, this applies to all three persons of the Trinity. It's not located in just the father It's located in the entirety, the fullness of the Trinity. And so God's a saity. It's not saying that he, uh, that he causes himself. It's not saying that he's is the first cause of everything and that he caused himself and then caused everything else. You know, God is because he is, you know, there is no beginning to God. God always has been, always will be, uh, forever will be. And we especially find that in Genesis one, one, I mean, that's a very familiar verse, the very beginning of the Bible. It says in the beginning, God. And so, you know, it, it takes you all the way to the very beginning of anything that we can fathom of, yeah. of stuff beginning of, you know, the, 
beginning of history, you know, is saying that God was already there. That's right. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he came into being or anything like that. Um, this isn't talking about God's beginning. It's saying in the beginning of creation, right. really, God was already there. So God's before creation. God always has been, always will be. And, you know, as, as we go on, you know, there's other scripture passages that, that we're not going to list, but there's other passages that teach God being the first and the last, God being Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he's the source from which all creatures exist and uh, from whom they all exist. So we find God existing in and of himself, not needing anything, and yet being the the source and the foundation for everything else to be able to exist. And that's that's very crucial to understand, I think, when when you're anytime you're considering any attribute of God, that God is outside of our understanding to begin with, just from the eternity part. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, and just going back to the, the, the Genesis account of creation, <laughs> that's, I like to start there a lot of times because I'm like, well, number one, I we can't even fathom that. We can't right. even, as as finite beings, we just can't even imagine something existing outside of time itself. Yeah. You know, and uh, and, and that speaks a lot when you're understanding the aseity of God, I feel it just kind of brings that back home to it in the sense that, and it if if he's not even created, right? But yet we are that that speaks volumes within itself. That as far as our understanding of needing things, you know, that God is just simply independent, unobligated, unaccountable, and reasonable only to Himself. He He is truly free and does as He wants, when He wants, and how He wants. Uh, Granick said that his his actions are not regulated by any law without him, but a law within him, the law of his own um, nature. So not to say that he he can do anything, because Scripture clearly gives us examples that things God cannot do. Thus, God can't lie, God can't tempt, um, etc. But when we say that he is truly free, what we mean is he is the only restrained he's only restrained by his nature he always acts in such a way uh that is consistent with his holy character and uh you know ephesians 1 11 says according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsels of his will so that's, that's very clearly easy for us to understand when we consider the scriptures um i like to say when god has a question he consults himself mm-hmm. yeah. his own will he doesn't need any information given in earlier when clay was talking about what we read in isaiah we think about the nation of israel israel the children receiving the law and the commandments well they had something that was given to them to live by but where did it come from god on his own determined like you said this is justice this is right this is wrong and he did it from his own counsel he you know he didn't have to consult anything else to to be the standard yeah Mm. then that brings up you know, another point, you know, talking about, uh, you know, we, we you read that quote earlier, his actions are not regulated by any law within without him, but a law within him, the law of his own nature. And that's important for us to remember because a lot of times when we're reading scripture, we're tempted to to take our idea of God and then subject him to some outside, you know, laws of goodness yes. or laws of logic outside of God that he has to submit to. So yeah. God can only work in this way because we have this, you know, these our own laws that we have set up that he has to match mm-hmm. whenever God's the the lawmaker, you know, he's the the standard giver. And so that's important for us to remember that, you know, for example, if 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 something's good, 
it's good because God does it because he's the standard of good, not because, you know, we, some, yeah, right. we, yeah, we have our own standard of good and then God mm-hmm. has to right. do something to match the that. Scripture says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. And a lot of times we fail to understand that we don't get the right, that definition of good because a lot of things that we say are bad are actually in God's plan are good for his, for his end purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I would think that this was, this would probably be like a foundational attribute of God because if if he doesn't um if he doesn't derive love from himself then then something can sway him you know to to uh, show love or justice or mercy it, if anything and, and then if anything has that um ability to sway god then he's not god you know well, so you, he has everything within himself you see the same thing in uh in parents with their children a lot i know this is you can't necessarily use analogies all the time because they fall apart at some point yeah. but you see with parents who who find it necessary that their kids be friends with them or that they get something out of their kids whenever they become slaves to that you see the kids start controlling what the parent does exactly. and how they do it and it's kind of the same you know god doesn't need anything from us right. because if he did then we would be to the point where we would try to manipulate him to get what we want just like right. you know the kids who try to manipulate the parents who seem to be dependent on them then the creator would be in, indebted to his creation. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And I also kind of think that um, really in the history of trying to define the attributes of God ever since the early church, um, even Catholics and the people in the Reformation, they're trying to nail down what is that the one attribute that not necessarily is the totality of God, but kind of is the foundation for everything. And a lot of theologians essentially came to the idea that his aseity was that attribute, that you get everything out of that. You start with his self-existence, and all of that grows his holiness, his um, immutability, unable to change, and all that. Mm-hmm. Another way to kind of look at the attributes of God are also the names of God. Um, whenever the Bible uses a name in Scripture, and the Old Testament especially, it usually has a very specific meaning. For example, Eve in the original Hebrew would have meant the mother of all, but um, all humans, that is. So that, for example, and I'll go briefly through this because I don't want to spend too much time, but a lot of the names you'll see in Scripture, for example, El, um, usually thought to mean the strong one, the object of reverent fear, referring to God. Elohim is also a very common one. It's usually the plural of El and is actually used more frequently. And people talk about um, there's a debate between whether or not this is referring to the Trinity or not, or just the plurality of powers. We won't get into that. There's also Elion, the God who's exalted high above everything that was used by Melchizedek in Genesis 14, 18. El Shaddai, this first, um, appeared in scripture when God revealed himself to Abraham. It means Lord Almighty. And the one I really want to look at today that's um, related to what we're talking about is Yahweh. Um, Basically, you know, the Jews revered this name so much and dreaded it that they wouldn't even write it out in scripture. They will replace it with a word. And usually in English, it's translated as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. And then really, when people look at it in the context of Exodus 3.12, when he says, I will be who I will be, that's usually, people take that to mean the name 
of Yahweh to include his aseity. Speaks of the reverence, you know, yes. that yeah. they had for, they understood the magnitude. Right. That I think the, the modern church has lost sight of. Right. They understood the magnitude of how great God is. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, 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 to those points there, man, that just, I think that's just been lost in culture and lost throughout time. Uh, and especially in the church today, there's no reverence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like going back to using the Lord's name in vain. It's taken, it's, it's not reverend at all. As far as uh, you know, OMG and stuff like that that you hear so much in, in culture today, and, right. uh, and and I've and I, I'm guilty of it myself. Uh, there's been plenty of times I've taken the Lord's name in vain. I've violated almost all the commandments. <laughs> but today, <laughs> today, <laughs> but but there's definitely in today's society at all. There's no reverential fear. That's right of God when it comes to these things. To understand, look, he's he's self-existent within himself and doesn't need me. And yet, I'm going to offend him by abusing his name. I'm going to I'm going to offend him by taking for granted his laws. Right. You know, it, it, I don't know. It just kind of speaks some different volumes. And, and kind of the uh, before we move on, the, kind of the logical idea or the fuller meaning of the word for the Jews would have been the one who is unchanging in his attitude of saving grace for his people. Mm. So mm. immediately, when you're talking about the aseity of God, it doesn't take long for you to get to you know, his immutability, that he's not going to change. There's no sign of turning in God. He's not going to give up his plan for salvation for, you know, the Jews or, you know, Christians mm-hmm. leading up to us. So. Yeah. And it just shows us that God operates from a position of of wealth, not need. Um, yet God freely chooses to live in covenant relationships with finite Sinful people who take for granted who exactly he is. Um, thus, his sufficiency does not negate his love for us, but magnifies it. It just it just really gives us a very, um, man, it just kind of, like I said, it comes back to that, how much mercy and grace he shows us and how much we do not deserve anything from him. Um, the, uh, let's see. When it comes to morality and knowledge, you know, God's aseity isn't limited to the physical sphere. He is likewise the source and the standard of everything immaterial that exists. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, revelation that we see about God kind of gives us better scope of things, but God's aseity is revealed in both special and general revelation. Um, we see that throughout the text. We see that as we look into the things of this world. We see the creation. We see how nature itself just kind of works in a special way. I was talking to some people yesterday, and I was like, just think of the human anatomy, of how wonderfully made God has built a human body to do the things that it does. If I cut myself, it just heals itself, and it, it works through those things, and how the sun rises and, the, and, and goes down every day, and how nature is sustained by who? By God. I mean, that's that goes back to Romans one that we, we can see you know, that there is a God just in creation itself. And it, it's hard to deny that. And part one of the issues, um, sorry, I had yeah. you muted. <laughs> one, one of the issues in, uh, in philosophy that was going on for a while. And I, I can't give you explicit names. I've forgotten them, but uh, you know, one of the issues was if, if we're changing and we're constantly becoming something else and something different, then, you know, how do we account for, 
anything, you know, you, you being able to study anything or knowing anything is that there has to be something that's consistent, something that's, you know, eternal and not changing that just is and exists in and of itself. And, you know, even in, you know, philosophy, people just, you know, studying the nature around them and things like that, you know, apart from uh, scripture, not to elevate that to some great thing, but, you know, even, even these secular philosophers understand that there has to be something that exists in and of itself for there to be everything that exists around us that's constantly changing and uh, moving and developing. Yeah. And uh, someone we had reference here is Aristotle knew this before the birth of Christ as a, as a philosopher. He, he was not able to reason the God of the Bible, but he knew there must be a prime mover, quote unquote, or first cause that uh, that there's something behind everything that just you know can't be explained or understood by a finite being. And uh, we'll give a shout out to Robert Will Lures. He put a lot of these notes in here. He couldn't be with us today, but uh, that's a very excellent point that we have here. But all right. So if you haven't checked out our website, eyesupandministries.org, go there to find plenty of different resources. Uh, we have studies tools, we have blogs, we have a lot of just a lot of many different tools for you to use to study and go deeper in God's word. So check that out, eyesupandministries.org. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and pretty much that's about it for right now. But uh, be looking for a YouTube channel as we uh, hopefully start doing some video content um, and a live broadcast of the podcast in the future. And then also – uh, we're also sponsored or partnered with Cornerstone Baptist Church of Hartsville, South Carolina. Uh, if you're in the Hartsville, South Carolina area, then come check us out. Pretty much uh, a good majority of Eyes Up and Ministries contributors attend Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you with us. So check us out. You can go to their website, cbchartsville.com. Okay, so objections. There's some objections when it comes to understanding this concept, especially, and not exclusively, but in the Christian church itself. Um, there's those who may say, doesn't Scripture teaching that God desires our worship and praise clash with the concept of God's aseity? If he is complete and not lacking anything, then why does he desire this from humans? What would be your response to that, guys? Put you on the spot. Just, I mean, just offhand, it's you know, it's it's, it's not that he he doesn't desire. It's it's not a necessity for his being, for his existence, to have someone, one of his creatures, you know, showing him love, desire, and affection. You know, if if, if everybody on earth were to cease worshiping God today, that would not halter his existence at all or hinder him at all and who he is but god desires it because you know I, I believe first and foremost because he deserves it and because he's worthy of it uh, and god's always going to be seeking his own glory and i know that sounds you know to our ears that sounds like well how could he that sounds selfish and like it's only selfish when we do it because we're denying glory that belongs to god but for god to desire his own glory is 
you know, the highest thing that he could do. Cause if God desired somebody else's glory, then he wouldn't be God anymore. Mm. And so, you know, for him to desire worship and praise from us doesn't take away from his aseity. Um, I'd say that it establishes it because he's asking, demanding, requiring, you know, our, our worship and praise because of who he is, because of his aseity, his holiness, and all of those things. If there's anybody worthy of it, it's him. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's I don't think it's necessarily that he needs it, uh, but he he expects it the same way. Well, I don't want to even get into human Another analogy. <laughs> I don't want to go into an analogy with that one. But, you know, it, why wouldn't we want to worship and praise him? But, well, that's what it's also is, for our, our, our benefit. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's asking us uh, to give up something great and just for our lives to be terrible. He's asking us and, like I said, demanding, you know, requiring us to, to worship him because that's the best existence that we could have. That's what we we're called to be. And that's what he created us to do. He's only asking us to abide by standard operating procedures, you know, that we've deviated from. I mean, that's what he requires of us. Yeah. You can also kind of think of it as a, an invitation of, of grace. Um, for example, um, you know, God condescended to come down to our level and, you know, to commune with us. And you know, I don't think that, you know, we should have any sort of, you know, objections to that. It's really God's grace because, I mean, you know, a lot of people try to come up with this concept of deism that, oh, God doesn't care, but he does care. He wants to be in communion with us. Yep. Um, all right, so applications of God's aseity and sufficiency. Maybe before we hit that, that, uh, that one other objection you had. Oh, yeah. It's just something to bring up. Um you know, another question that we had written down is, hasn't science shown that matter or the universe is eternal? I mean, that's our popular view of the world is that, you know, this, this, this physical world has just been going on and on and on and evolving and developing. And, you know, it's going to continue to go on and on until something happens and destroys stuff. And maybe it'll start all over again or whatever, however you view it. But the point that I'd like to bring up with this is that it goes to show that you know, everybody has to, you know, something has to have this attribute of aseity. You know, it, it has to be there. Even in a view that tries to get rid of God, they place that attribute somewhere. They put it in something. And we look in a, you know, materialistic worldview, one that's just the only thing that exists is what you can see, hear, taste, touch. You know, they put this aseity in, in nature and the things that they see around them. They say, well, this is eternal. This uh, exists in and of itself. Nothing created this. It's just been here and it always will be. And so that's something to look for when you hear people with different worldviews, different ways of thinking um, that aren't biblical. Look for where they put God's attributes in other things besides God and, and steal from his glory. That's just something to, to look for. Yeah. And also this, that kind of thinking also leads to what they call pantheism. Yeah. That's where that I was if, going with it. Yep. If all material has been eternal for all this time and God is, you know, eternal as well, then a lot of people take that to mean that the universe in a sense is God and some like all the material in a sense, it almost kind of deifies man in a very broad sense, really deifies everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that's, that's definitely growing in society today, especially amongst the uh, growing paganism. And even even atheists who believe in evolution would say the same thing. Uh, it's got a pantheistic approach that there's mother mother earth or mother nature and the 
goddess of the universe and it's all self-sustaining and that that tree has just as much of uh the god spark in it than than we do in a sense you know they <laughs> it sustains itself it 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 grows up into a tree and the acorn falls off and it re-sprouts and then it dies in the fall and reborn in the spring. Now, well, there's a creator behind that. The reason that happens is because God ordains and directs everything in existence. I mean, and that's one of the big distinctives of you know, the biblical doctrine of God's aseity is that it, it, it really sets before us the distinction between the creator and his creation so that you're not mixing the two and blurring the two because if you don't have that distinction then you end up with the the pantheism that that god is that you know everything around you is god or contains part of god or however you know you want to word that um so that's something to keep in mind is that if you're sticking to what scripture says it's going to keep god in a sense separated from his creation there's a distinction between the creator and his creation all right so that's a good lead up into the applications of God's aseity and, and sufficiency. That uh, you know, knowing God's aseity and sufficiency with faith and love is a source of great practical help in the Christian life. So, what's some ways we can see that, guys? Uh, well, the first thing we have is you know a, a heart of knowledge of these doctrines. It empowers us uh, to worship God with great joy and to trust Him when our circumstances. Uh, are dark and discouraging knowing that you know that god doesn't god doesn't need anything from us firstly and that he's not affected by the you know by the dark and discouraging circumstances that we're going to um you know for example you know in america just because we're going through some kind of uh, turmoil right now uh, and you we feel like things are unsteady and constantly changing uh and that every single thing we see on the news is affecting us and changing us that doesn't mean that God is being changed by those things or that God is, you know, of necessity, like looking at these events, hoping that something happens because he requires it of himself to, you know, to continue existing or for his plan to work out. You know, he doesn't need, and I guess with that, you kind of see how this blends into sovereignty and mm-hmm. immutability and all of these different things. But, you know, this is say it is really the foundation of all of that is, um, you know, that he's the original cause of these things and they they aren't having an effect on him and changing who he is. And I think that's kind of what um, I was getting at earlier when I was talking about how the Jews view the name Yahweh, the one who will not, you know, give up his plan of salvation because of God's aseity, because he's self-existent and that naturally leads to his unchangeableness. We know that he's not going to change on us. You know, he promised us in his word that, if we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for us and, you know, took all our sins for us. And we believe that he's not going to change his mind, you know, tomorrow. And all of a sudden the extension of grace given to us is just not available anymore. Yeah. It it really brings us back to uh, the Lord is our sufficiency in ministry there. That's, I, somebody got that pulled up second corinthians 3 5 it's uh i meant to have that there but let me pull out my handy dandy field bible i've got you right here go ahead not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us but our sufficiency is from god yeah so it, why do we do what we do why do we worship him why do we well, Cause he's that awesome, man. That's just 
I'm I'm quit looking for scriptures. <laughs> My eyes are getting old. Um, all right. So third, God's sufficiency can fill believers in Christ with hope as they anticipate the future inheritance with the King, whose wealth is unimaginable. We have God; He is enough. And and and, and you know that's and that's a that's a big comfort to me in, in a lot of hard places I've been through in life. I've been, I, have, I ain't giving no personal testimony or nothing like that, but just like many of you listening and, and all you guys sitting here too, we've all been through some difficult times in our lives. And uh, me being a young believer, uh, you know, back when I was a teenager and really coming back around, and I've been in ministry since I was 21. So most of my adult life I've known the Lord and has been a tre- tremendous help, even though, I wasn't worthy of his love and grace and mercy. Uh, when I understand that I got a God who's that powerful and that that awesome, it's just what do I got to worry about. That's right. What do I got to worry about? And this, you know, we're talking you're talking about uh, a practical help for us is this really is society lays the foundation, you know, for justification by faith alone in the, in the future, which I'm sure we're going to get to, uh, because if if God is not in need of anything. He doesn't need anything of us, then that completely you know, cuts out any sort of idea of salvation where we're giving God gifts of our works in order to get something from Him. Because you know, God need you know this idea that God needs us to do these certain things this certain way. We need to He needs us to obey Him in this way, and as a reward for that, He's going to give us something. You know, that completely undercuts all of that because God doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't really need us to be in existence. He doesn't need us in heaven. He doesn't, you know, I mean, so he can. Roman Catholicism. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't have to have us, but you know, on, on the flip side of that, knowing that he's done all of this for us to have us, we know that it's like Josh uh, said before, out of his grace, you know, abundant mercy and, and love that he's bringing us in whenever he doesn't need us. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole nother thing. If somebody absolutely needs you for them to show you love, then, you know, you kind of question their motives at that point. But for somebody who needs nothing from you to show you love, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big deal, a big practical help for us in all the circumstances we go through in life. Really should drive us to humility. You know, that's, that's right. the, the pride of life. I mean, that's man is ultimately we, 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 we think, well, I'm providing for myself. So you put this back in the, you know, a human perspective in a sense. Yeah, practical. We say, well, I provided for my family. I I put food on the table. I've uh, done, I went to work and earned that money. I deserve that. I've done this and that. But really, when you think about it, that's all good things come from the Lord. Right. And when you, you're provided for in that context, and that's part of the common grace that everybody shares in, in a sense. But uh, that should really drive us back to humility and understanding, wow, you know, I mean, there. There, I was unemployed for five months at one point with a family. I have three kids and a wife. And I literally had no income coming in. She wasn't working. She was at home mom when I lost a job. But yet we survived. We didn't lose our home. We didn't go hungry. Only God provided. I mean, God used people as means to help us and do That's things right. that, that reached out to us, and, and we made it. Um, but, yeah, hard time, but it drove me to humility to show me, okay, it ain't, it ain't what you're doing. That's what God's. That's right. It could be taken at any time. Yeah. Any moment. Because that's back to where we started. Is that this is an incommunicable attribute. We don't. We aren't standing. You know, 
not in need of anybody. We are in constant need, right? You know, first and foremost of God, and then of others around us. You know, we're we're the the furthest from being independent. <laughs> we're mm. our dependent creatures. That's yeah. why we pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. We're totally infant babes in the sense that you know <laughs> we rely on God really just providing that uh, for us in a sense. So. Well, it's been a good conversation, guys. We've, uh, I think we tackled this subject pretty well. You can go deeper into this, and I would highly recommend that you do. There is plenty of materials out there. Get you a good uh, systematic theology book um, and go to our website. We've got some book recommendations also. That I, I actually got a page I hadn't published it yet, but um, I'm create, in the process of creating a page with books to help you recommend recommended books for different topics and subjects. So we're looking for that. Uh, but chat it out. Any other recommendations or anything you guys got or any last words? Lee? How about we end it with a doxology? How about that? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen amen all right and yep <laughs> well thank you for joining us for another episode of eyes up in ministry podcast be looking forward to some more episodes coming soon our goal this year is to produce two episodes per month uh we'll see if we get there or not but you want to support us in that go to our website like it share it put our materials out there help spread the news and we'll be greatly appreciated to that. I'm John Pruitt with Eyes Up in Ministries, joined with Joshua Lovell, Clay Garrison, Lee Gullich. We hope to see you next time.